it has come to my attention uh, that you know this is information that has come across my desk you know today um, that in a place in the world called that I'll call X you know don't, it doesn't matter where it, where it is yeah, or, yeah, um, there are people who live in X um, who who claim that all languages in the world are child languages, you know, derive from the language of X, the language that they speak in X. You know, let's say that's Exian. Uh, you know, like in um, in Australia, we speak Australian. <laughs> we don't quite, but you know what I mean. Exian. Um, you know. uh, so you know, there there are people from X who uh, say that um, that every language in the world derives from Exian. Okay. Now, um, I don't know if I'm not a linguist. I'm not a linguist. I don't know if that's true or not. You know, I actually don't know if that's true or not. I, I know there are a lot of language experts who um, would uh, doubt this very much, you know, that all languages in the world come from, uh, uh, derive from Exian. Okay, I know that much, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. Um, because tonight I have to go out with a bloke from X and, um, and not really, I'm only joking, I'm only making that up, but imagine I was, yeah. All right, so tonight I'm going out with a bloke from X, you know, and I just, you know, I've already been forewarned that he is going to tell me all about the fact that all languages in the world derive from Exian. Yeah. Uh, so, um, what attitude will I take when I go out with this bloke from X? His name's Y. Yeah, he's Y from X. <laughs> okay. What? <laughs> um... Well, there's a few approaches I could take. Um, now, I've already been forewarned that there's no change in this bloke's mind. He's, and it's not so much that he's claiming that all languages come from Exian. You know, um, he's definitely not just proposing it. In his mind, this is a fact. Okay, this is a fact. It's um, it's a, what I would call a starting premise. You know, that all languages come from Exian. Okay, so I'm going out with this bloke, and I say to myself, well, am I going to change his mind tonight? And the answer, well, I've been forewarned already, let's just imagine, um, that the answer to that is no. You know? um, okay. You know? And in this, you know, he's a little bit like going out with a born-again Christian. You're not going to change that person's mind, you know. Someone who believes in the Bible, literally, uh, you're not going to change that person's mind, you know, um, that Jesus once turned water into wine, you know. So if you go out with that person, you know, what's the point, you know, in um, in trying to change that person's mind? Well, who are you to do that anyway? All right, let's let's just put that aside. This bloke reminds me of a born again Christian, except in the language sphere. All right, um, so you're not going to change his mind. So what do you do then? Well, I want to have a good night out, you know. So, 
Um, I may well uh, enter into this game. Yeah. And, and that's how I can have the most valuable possible evening tonight having a night out with this bloke, you know, and uh, that's the approach I would take. And in other spheres in my life, I do take that approach. You know, I, I do hang around with born-again Christians and I'm, I know I'm not going to change them, so I enter into it, you know. And, you know, I go out with anti-racists and I go out with racists. Do you know sometimes I go out with racists and there's no changing their minds? Um, so, you know, okay, go for it. Tell me what you think, you know. You might think that's very bad, but it's... Um, intellectually rigorous of me to do this, you know. Um, it makes no difference, you know, if I if I try to change their mind. I'm, I'm not going to, you know. Um, you may think I'm a terrible person for this, but let's just come back to the bloke from X, you know, who speaks Xian. So, um, now, am I being a, a little bit superior, you know, in... Um, going out there and almost lying to him that I'm buying in, you know. I think no. You know, I'm only going out. You know, he wants a good night. I want a good night out. Um, and, you know, how, what's the best... What's In what way is he going to get the best possible night out tonight? You know, it's just him and me. Um, and the answer to that is, you know, the only thing that's on his mind is to convince me that all languages in the world... Derived from Exion. That is how he's going to get a good night out, you know. And how am I going to get the best possible night out, you know, because the object tonight is to get the best possible night out for everyone to have a great night, you know. All right. Now, for me, now, it just happens to be my Zen that I don't really care about, you know, trying to convince other people about what I'm, what I think, you know. Um, I like to talk about what I think, but I have no interest at all, at all in whether other people buy that or not, you know. So I'm an anti-racist, for example, you know, and um, actively so, you know. And um, But I have no interest in, you know, pushing that into someone else's head, you know. If, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll sell the idea as, as well as I can, but if they don't buy it, that's their choice. You know, I've got no saying anything, you know. Um, though that person who's a racist, you know, he might have a very sound um, rationale for being racist. I don't know his background. I don't know his country's um, history as well as he does, at least, you know. So that sort of thing, you know. But anyway, the point is, you know, my Zen is um, to enjoy saying what I think without it bothering me, you know, I'm a bit of a sociopath in that way, uh, whether someone else buys it or not. All right, so that's that. So, and in any case, you know what? Um, I already know my worldview from my perspective. Do you know how I would get my best night out tonight? Is if, you know, in mo when you go and watch a movie, it's almost like suspending disbelief. You know, and you don't mind people doing that. You don't criticise people for doing that, do you, listener? <laughs> when you know, when um, I go and watch a Star Wars movie, and I know that you know explosions in space make no sound, but suddenly there's explosions in space making sound, um, and I'm happy to suspend disbelief. And you know, you might well say eh, that's reasonable. You want to enjoy your night out. You want to have a fun night out. 
So, just while you're watching the movie, you're happy to believe that explosions in space make sound. You know, boom. You know. All right, so I'm going out tonight, and all I care about is him, my mate, getting something out of the night, and me getting something out of the night. So, he's going to get something out of the night because he gets to talk about what he thinks. You know? um, that Exion is the root of all languages. Okay, what am I going to get out of tonight? Well, I can get out of something huge out of that, you know. And even Socrates was able to do this. Even Socrates, you know. Uh, yeah, all right, yes. Um, he's not a lesser me. He's not a lesser Charlie Socrates. He's, a, he's far greater than Charlie. <laughs> but anyway, um, I think Socrates would have sort of said, if he was out on such a night, he would have said, you know what, let's, you know, let's accept it as a given, a starting premise, that you're right, right? So, um, I will entertain what you're uh, laying down there as a fact, okay? So, all right. If I accept, you know, I'm not saying I actually do or not, but for the purposes of this night out, for the next two hours, I accept that all languages in the world derive from Exian, right? Now, right, we're locking that in. That's important. You lock that in as a, as a fact, a truth, whatever you want to call it. It's, it's locked in. We, you know, it's not controversial. We're not scoffing, you know, um, and I'm, I'm not being disrespectful. Most definitely not being disrespectful because you could be right, you know. I personally think it's a point zero 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 one percent chance that you are right, you know. But, or maybe at a stretch you're right, you know. Um, you know, look, if all people in the world came from your, um, your region, you know, then arguably, you know, if they stayed lingual, after some fashion or another from that time, even if we were just grunting when we left your area, you know, like great apes, um, then uh, maybe, you know, arguably you're right, you know. But all right, let's, you know. Um, so, you know, but what I would say to this bloke is to get the most out of tonight, I'm going to accept your premise or whatever you want to call it, you know, your fact. Um, when I go home, I mean, after I leave you, you know, I might drop it. But just for the next two hours, I'm going to accept. And, um, and I, I, enlighten me, I would say. Now, um, I can get a very interesting and enlightening view of the world, I think that I couldn't get otherwise if I do accept that premise. Whether or not it's true, it doesn't matter if it's true or not, I would and will, you know, get something valuable out, out of tonight, um, a greater understanding of the human condition, if you like, if I have the sophistication of mind to be able to, 
suspend disbelief, if you like, um, and accept for two hours uh, the idea as fact that all languages in the world come from Exian. I will be an improved person if I accept that as a fact for the next two hours um, because uh, I will see the human, I will view, experience the human condition in a new and fresh way that I could not have um, viewed it had I not entered in to the game. That's what I think, you know. Now, that's a pretty, you know, unu- look, it's an unusual example, you know, someone making such a wild claim. Uh, however, um, people make these sorts of claims all the time, and you can have very, you can actually have a very rich experience of this world if you do enter into this sort of game, and often, you know, the obvious one is something like religion, you know. Um, you know, I can enter into the idea that the Bible is literally true. I do it fairly often, you know, and not for fun, but just so that I can, um, I can view the human condition in a, in an alternative way, you know, um, you know, I can, I can go with the, you know, a scientific way of thinking, which is my sort of default way of thinking. I can, um... I can go with, um, you know, evidence-based, um, evidence-based beliefs. I'll call it beliefs, you know, because even evidence is, um, you know, is premised on our powers of, uh, detection, our senses, and our powers of mental processing being reliable, and, you know, and they're not necessarily reliable, you know. There could be some sort of demon, as Descartes, the philosopher, said, um, telling us what to think and we don't know it. You know, we would not know that, you know. But the point is, I could go with a, what we call, scientific evidence-based method of, you know, viewing uh, the universe and the human condition, you know, and that'll give me a certain appreciation of what I'm experiencing in this world. But I can suspend that, you know. It's a question of whether you can or not, or whether you even want to. You don't have to. Um, I can suspend that and say, you know what, I'm going out with a born-again Christian tonight. And um, for tonight, just for tonight, special bonus offer, (laughs) one-off, never-to-be-repeated offer, I am going to, um, for three hours tonight, um, make sense of this world uh, if uh, everything in the Bible is literally true, you know, and it's a whole new world that opens up then, a whole new world, and it's it's intellectually stimulating and even emotionally stimulating, I bet. I don't know about that because I don't have any emotions. I'm a robot. But it's 100% intellectually um, stimulating to do. To, to you, know, you get more out of life you know, if you see the world from more than one perspective, you know. That's the old story. Yeah, you know, I actually got into this, actually, because there's, there's a, a travelling show that goes around Australia and it's called The Ark. Yeah. You know? 
um, something like the Ark. I met the bloke <laughs> who drives this huge van called the Ark. I think it was called the Ark. And um, I met him down in Queenscliff. Um, and I might have done that before these podcasts, this podcast started. I've only been doing this podcast for about 10 months. And I'm up to about 150 episodes. I'm doing very well. Um, but I met this bloke and um, he had this huge van. Expensive expensive you know and he was touring around australia and this ark um the sides of the ark one of the side one side of the ark it's actually a a, a very expensive and very long sort of van um a huge van you could probably google it something to do with the ark you know noah's ark you know um anyway not the ark of the covenant the other one um anyway the side of the van opens up and there's a sort of scale model in there of Noah's Ark. And this bloke is going around Australia fairly continuously, I think. It's his life work, and I think he gets funded somehow. Yeah, there's enough people out there who are willing to buy into all of this stuff. And um, anyway, he's bought into the idea that everything about Noah's Ark and the Bible is literally true. And he seemed to be a happy man to me. Um, now, you could argue that his starting premise is a, is a mess, you know. But I, you know, what I would argue is it doesn't matter if it's a mess or not. You know, as a starting premise, um, you can start with anything ridiculous. I think those Scientologists believe, we're, believe that, you know, we're all aliens that came cruising in here on an asteroid. I have no idea about the details of that. Yeah, but the point is, um, there are a lot of Scientologists in the world, and they, I think they believe that we, you know, that maybe there was a planet far, far away, and I don't know, and there was an asteroid passing, so they, you know, a group of them hitched a ride on the asteroid, and they went screaming across the universe, you know, through wormholes, and you know, however they managed to do it, you know, um, with little upside down goldfish balls on their heads, and landed on Earth, and started life on Earth. You know, something like that. I think that's what the Scientologists believe. Now, um, you can now as a starting premise, that sounds wickety whack to me. It's possible, but wickety whack. It's possible, like uh, there's a one in one gazillion, one divided by one Google chance that it's true. Uh, but um, the point is, you know, you could go and do a six-month course in a Scientology laboratory, for want of a better word, and um, and find out, you know, and make logical sense of the universe given a faulty starting premise, uh, most likely faulty starting premise. So what you can do, you can, and Socrates used to say this too, um, you, can, you can start with a wrong premise, but then um, be logical from then on, you know, and... Um, and come up with a, a, a lot of valuable um, insight um, about your own condition on this earth, for example, you know. Um, you can um, have a rich experience of life using, starting with a faulty premise, but then being logical from that point on. Now, that's a critical point. You can't you can't keep throwing curveballs and then just changing the rules as you go along. What you've got to do is start off with something, even if it's wickety-whack, you know. Start off with a set of rules, if you like. It's a little bit like, you know, and then um, 
hold on, stick to those rules from then on, you know, until the end of the game. And we do that with most of our games in the world. So it's not unusual to us, you know, it's not foreign as an idea to us. We do it with footy and cricket, for example. In football, um, we make up a whole set of rules, right, which are absolutely arbitrary, totally made up. But, you know, we as football players, and I am a football player, because I had one game last year. I'm still very proud of that. Um, uh, a last hurrah. I'm not going to do it again. I got through it with that injury. <laughs> that, I'm, I'm, I'm unlikely, unlikely to be that lucky again. Four blokes in my team got injured that day. I wasn't one of them. Thank... Thank... Thank Alien. You know, flying here on an asteroid with a goldfish bowl on his head, upside down, with just enough air in that goldfish bowl so that he could keep breathing until he got here. Right. Thank God I didn't get injured, you know. Now, um, so, um, we do this with football and cricket. So, with cricket, for example, we make up all these rules, you know, that if you catch the ball, the other goat bloke's out, you know, and all that sort of stuff, you know. Then we make up a game called football where if you throw the ball, um, it's free kick against you. You know, you have to handball it and things like that, you know what I mean? So we make all these rules at the start of the game. It's a game. You see, well, that's what I'm getting at. This is the, in fact, I'll call this episode the game. I just made that up then. Okay. And what we do when we play footy is we we start off with a whole set of rules, the rules of the game. You know, that's what they're called, the rules of the game. Um, and... Um, and then from that on, that, that point on, for the rest of the game, for the next two hours, uh, 120 minutes, uh, we, um, we, it makes sense to us. Everything we're doing on the footy field makes sense to us. Even when we're penalised, we know why we're being penalised. You know, we might think someone else is reading it wrong. Essentially, what we've got is our umpires and crowds and the football players themselves, you know, assessing every, every sort of action on that football field you know, for those two hours, and measuring that against the starting premise, which was absolutely arbitrary, you know, totally made-up rules of the game, and, um, and, um, and essentially analysing every single instant of the game. Every second of the game is analysed by everyone watching. There might be 95,000 people there, and they're all watching intently, you know, and... Um, if an umpire makes a wrong call, you know what, you know, there's a huge roar goes up from the crowd, you know, so, you know, a verdict has been handed down by the crowd, um, and so on and so forth. The umpire's making judgments, people in the crowds are making judgments, you know what they all are? They're theolo- theologians, you know, theologians, theo- theologists, if you like, they're using logic. You might say, how could they be using logic when the starting premise was made up? You know, well, it's theologic, you know. It's starting with a starting premise, that's Theo, you know, God. You know, the, whoever made up the rules of the football game uh, is a God, you know, because they've made up all the rules, you know. I forget what that bloke's name is. And there's a rules committee that maintains that, you know. They're like the bishops, you know. Uh, the, you know, the councils, you know, the councils of Nicaea and all this sort of stuff, you know what I mean. But anyway... Um, Theology means you start with a starting premise, you know, for the Christians that is, you know, for example, that um, everything that is written in the Bible is correct, you know, that's the theo part of it, and the logi, <laughs> theology, 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 
Right, the logy part of it, that's all Greek to me, um, is that we're going to be logical from that point forward. So it's a mixture, it's theo followed by logical, you know. So it's logical, you know, given a starting premise. And, um, and everything that happens on the football field, even the crowd en masse objecting to an umpire's decision is logical to me against the starting premise that is the rules of the game. You know, so someone throws the ball in a in a passage of play, um, and the umpire doesn't blow the whistle, and then the whole crowd roars. You know, and you might say um, that was illogical. You know, um, a bloke just threw a ball, which is an absolutely natural thing to do, and the umpire didn't blow a whistle, and ninety five thousand people roared. You know. That's not logical. That's stupid, you might say, if you're uh, not an Australian rules football fan. You know, you'll say, we're, you know, I'm from Sydney, you might say, and we play rugby league up here, and throwing the ball is fine. So the whole crowd roaring then was illogical. But look, we all know what, what what's happening there. It's logical that the whole crowd roared according to the starting premise that was the arbitrary rules of Australian rules football. You've come to an Australian rules football game. You're not at a rugby league football match right now, so you're the one being illogical for saying that, you know, it made sense for that bloke to be throwing the ball. You're being illogical by being logical, you know, in in the wrong perspective, you know, in the wrong frame of reference, you know. Now, same goes with everything else, you know, like if you're... If you're, you know, when in Rome, but if you're with a whole group of born again Christians, and, you know, oh, oh, if I'm with that guy who's travelling around Australia in his ark with wheels, his ark's got wheels, you know. Now, I looked in his ark actually, and I had a long and very enlightening chat with him. I didn't challenge him. I could tell he'd bought a $150,000 vehicle, you know, with a fully set up ark in it with all little animals, plastic animals in it, you know, and he was giving out pamphlets. I wasn't changing that guy's mind, so why would I bother? He's encountered people before, absolutely, uh, who have tried to change his mind. Why would I get in line with all those idiots who were unsuccessful? I'm not going to bother doing that. I'm going to go up to his ark, I'm going to have a chat to him, and I'm going to see what fascinating things I can learn. <laughs> you know, and then he can learn some things, and he told me some things. And um, the, the 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 bit I loved the best was um, this ark was less than six thousand years old. You know, this scale model of an ark, and he had dinosaurs in there. And I said, "Whoa, <laughs> what's going on here? You've got a stegosaurus in there and a brontosaurus. You know, and they're not much bigger than the cows. You because know? <laughs> he had all pens." in the ark and in some of the pens you know there was a wolf and there's a tiger you know and a kangaroo <laughs> which is a little bit mind-bending in and of itself uh he was in australia you know um and uh but there was a brontosaurus it was only about six times as big as a cow otherwise you know we couldn't have and i said is that because you just wanted to squeeze it in there he said no 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 um what noah did was he only took baby Brontosaurus's 
brontosauri. You know, he only took baby brontosauruses onto the ark, and he was out only out on the ocean for forty days, and it hadn't grown much, so he was able to put it into a pen, and then it grew up and had babies. Ah, oh, I said, I wouldn't have thought of that. Nice one, ark guy. That's good. I like that. That's clever. Yes, clever Noah. Yes, of course. See, and I learned something. See, I learned something there. I learned that, um, well, at least that little fact could be bashed into shape. Um, I said, what about this other business that um, brontosaurus weren't even around, you know, um, less than 6,000 years ago? You know, we're talking 65 million years ago. And he said, ah, see, that's where you're just going with your classical idea of how time works. (laughs) Ah, all right, yes, I I know where you're going with this, okay. Uh, Time shrinks, time um, bloats at different times. You know, like, yep, I know, I've heard this one before, yeah. Um, As you go back further, um, what is um, a, a thousand years back then is only a minute for us. It's something like that, you know, okay. And he said, absolutely. Or something like that, you know. So um, time is not a constant, is what he was saying. I was saying, very quantum physics, that one. That's very quantum physics. I like it. Okay, so the point is, I went up to that arc guy, and I, I had a valuable experience. My mind was expanded into areas that it wouldn't have been expanded to had I not met the guy, you know. Um, well, for for example, I considered the possibility, you know, that it was, yes, of course, I wouldn't have thought of that, you know, he took baby, he, look, maybe he took dinosaur eggs onto the ark and they hatched in the ark, you know, that was possible too, you know, um, okay, so that's that, um, so, you know, I've got my mind thinking along those lines and when I'm at a party one day, I can pull that one out and I might amuse everyone for about seven minutes and it was well worth meeting ark guys, Art guy, just to be able to spin a few yarns at the next party, my life is richer as a result of that. You know, that sort of thing. Okay, so, you know, that art guy made my life richer. Um, you know, same goes with a born-again Christian. When I see the world through a born-again Christian's eyes, um, I see it in a different way. It's like standing on a desk. What movie was that? I didn't see many movies, but I saw that one. Uh, Rowan... Oh, who was he? Rowan? No, no, I'm thinking Rowan Atkinson, aren't I? Um, um, oh, yes, um, Seize the Day. That movie, you know, I've forgotten. Robin Williams, I almost forgot his name. See what happens when you kill yourself, Robin Williams? People forget you soon after, you know? And when people start, stop, I'm still talking about you, Robin Williams, so you still matter, but there will come a day when people will stop talking about you. And at that point in time, you know, as soon as people stop talking about you, you never did exist. Okay. Um, Now, um, so... Yeah, he's in that movie. He got his students to stand on the desk, stand on their desks to see the world from a different angle. And they said, gee, this classroom looks different, you know. And um, I was watching that scene and I was overcome with a feeling of duh. <laughs> right. Now, um, so, um, now, um, same goes with born again Christians. You can actually, um, you know, sometimes I feel like, you know, I've only got. 40 years left on this earth and I could devote each of those 40 years uh, uh, to 
um, experiencing the world from a different perspective. You know, I could be a Muslim next year. I could be a um, an Indigenous person the year after. Look, people, Indigenous people in Australia, you know, we enter a lot of people love Indigenous culture, and they actually do enter into all the things that Indigenous people um, believe in as their origin stories and all that sort of stuff, rainbow snakes and all that sort of thing, and they enter into that, all of that, um, as fact, in order to connect better with Indigenous people. Are they doing anything different than what I'm doing with this bloke tonight um, from X, you know, who speaks Xian? And who is going to tonight tell me that uh, the language I am speaking to him right now derives from the language he is speaking tonight? Uh, when he gives me a few samples, you know. Um, all right. So that's that. And this all is, is the basis of theology. Now, um, and I think theology... Now, look, I'm using the word theology. You know, that's usually reserved for the case where your starting premise in a... a uh, your starting premise in a, you know, a logical way of thinking, where your starting premise is God, you know, and then everything's logical from then on, you know. Um, and, and we do get that, you know, over the centuries, we've got people spending in, they're in, you know, so many people, you know, um, analysing everything in the universe and in the world and everything and marrying it back to the Bible and they devote their entire lives to it. And, you know, a scientist might say, you're just wasting your time, all you people. But no, they're having rich lives. It's hard to get around the fact that so many of them have had extremely rich and rewarding lives by entering into you know a um what might what I might call a fiction as a starting truth you know for their lives and then being logical from that point onwards you know and that's the art of theology and I think there's something to be said for theology you know um I mean at if right now you know, imagine I could have, um, for the rest of my life, I could have a fairly rich life by continuing on, um, really just um, being guided by my senses and my powers of analysis in my mind, you know. Yeah, science, you know, if I could stay the way I am, you know, and you might say to me, you're going to have a fairly rich life for the rest of your life and quite enjoyable. And then I say, now, what if I entered into, what if I became a, um, an, an absolutely uh, pasted-on, born-again Christian? And, and, and this other person might say to me, if I were to tell you that if you became a born-again Christian today and you were happy, on, on average, for the rest of your life, you had uh, a better and more wealthy and richer life for the rest of your life and you are happier day in day out if i were to if you if um that if you knew that were to be the case and that you would have um richer relationship with the people you love and all that sort of stuff imagine if every aspect of your life and you knew somehow that that would be um enhanced every aspect of your life would be enhanced if you would buy into the ideas of 
being a born-again Christian for the rest of your life, but perfectly and properly. For example, you know, you've got a sceptical... Let's, let's say I found the sceptical portion of your brain. You know, there's a portion of your brain that's sceptical about such things, and we took you in for just the tiniest little lobotomy for that little part of your brain that gives you that scepticism, but you would be happier for the rest of your life. Would you, would you go for that? You know, I said, oh, well, actually, I could probably do that without you doing a lobotomy on me because I do have that power of mind. I can do that. You know, I can just decide things like that, but I just don't want to at this point in time. Call me in a year. Maybe I'll be a born-again Christian in a year, and I may have jumped that shark, you know. Um, so, you know, that's the nature of theology, I think. You know, I'm just enjoying rambling along like this, you know. Um, and when I go out, you know, now you're talking about whether I can do that for the rest of my life. That's a big jump, you know. I don't usually commit to such things. And you might say, well, you seem to have sort of committed to science for a long time so far. And I'd say, good point. So I have. So I have, you know. And they, and you might say, you've used, you know, you're, you're, you're basically a scientist, you know, in the way you think. And, 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 and that's true, I'll say to this other guy. You know, from X, he might say that tonight. You know, you basically come from a scientific, a Western science background, and you've bought into that hook, line, and sinker, just like I've born, bought into the fact that Xian is the root of all languages. And I say, that's true. I've bought into the idea of science. And you've bought into the idea of Xian being the root of all languages. And there's another guy over there who's a born-again Christian who has bought into... Um, you know, the idea that the Bible is literally true, you know, and, but then he's logical from then on, you know, and he's being a theologist as a result of that because, you know, um, there needs to be another word for these other types of theology. You know, they're not theology because you don't start with God as your, you know, doubtful starting premise, but you're starting with some other thing, you know. Um, um, premisology, you know, you could almost call it, you know, my mate from X who I'm meeting tonight, he's, he's got a, he's a premisologist. He's starting with a starting premise that he's going, you know, got no scientific proof for, you know, that all languages um, started from Exian, you know, and he's, but he's going to be logical. He's going to do analysis from that point onwards that's all logical, you know, um, and clever. You know, he's not an idiot, you know. Um, he's a smart man. You know, it's just, it's, this is like saying that all the great theologists of history are idiots because they started with the wrong premises. Premise. <laughs> Where they lived was the premises, you know. <laughs> Were the premises. All right. Now, um, so a premise, you know. Um, no, there are a lot of theologists, you know, in the world right now who are starting with what I would call an unfounded, you know, faulty premise, uh, but who are being logical from then on, who are absolute geniuses in the wisdom and thinking sense. Much smarter than I am. I don't know who you are, listener, but I'll bet there are theologists out there. Let's say you're a scientifically minded person like I am and you need to see, touch, feel, perceive evidence before you'll believe something. Let's say you're that sort of person. All right. And you consider yourself fairly wise, wise and fairly smart. Well, here's my, here's something that I think is um, scientifically provable. Within all, within all reasonable bounds, there would be a lot of people smarter than you in this world. You know, you're only one of seven billion. There would be a lot of people on this earth smarter than you who are theologists and who are smarter than you. 
and you're going to say you you're, you're presuming to you know scoff at people who are your intellectual and wisdom wise betters you know, that's what you're sort of saying to me I say that these theologists might be onto something and you know what they might even say to you you're not so different you're a premisologist too they might say if you're a scientifically minded person you have a starting premise yeah and there's no basis of uh, you know proof in it um, it can be practically use it can be useful to you in a practical way but your starting premise yeah and this is one you can't prove is that your senses you know your eyes um, your ears yeah, the information that you're processing, your senses, your, your, your sense of touch, sight, hearing, and power, mental powers of processing all that information, you're, you've got a starting premise that that is reliable. Yeah? Or, taken a step further, that the collective senses of the human race, you know, once you know people compare notes, you know, did you did you see that you know asteroid? Yes, I saw it too. I saw it too. All right, it's proven. It did happen. Yes, but what if even our collective um, senses are unreliable? You have now, you you have as a starting premise that the collective um, powers of uh, sight. Hearing, touch, smell, and intellectual processing, and even you know all other sorts of you know, emotional processing and you know spiritual processing, if you like, you are have you know as a scientist, you have as a starting premise something that is technically unprovable, you know that that's reliable. How do you know that? There's not, as Descartes you know, once argued, how do you know there's not a, a wicked little demon out there um, planting, you know? How do you know he's not, he hasn't got a, a video game and we're just, um, what do they call them, avatars in his video game? You know? How do you know you haven't created him? How do you know you're not his lucid dream? You know, all that sort of stuff. And he's having all your thoughts and putting them into your head for your amusement yeah, and I'm talking about everyone on earth. How do you know that's not true? Right, you're saying that you want proof. You know, proof against what? Well, you know, might say the born again Christian, you want proof against, um, measured against a starting premise that is possibly faulty. And that is, you know, the collective powers of perception of the human race. You know, that which you call science. Science is the um, collation of the collective powers of perception and analysis, if you like, of the human species. But what if all that is faulty? You know, you don't know if it's faulty or not. Look, it's a, it's a, it's a, a it, given that you need, you know, that anything um, that is measured with those things, is going to serve those things well, you know, which is a kind of circularity, you know. Like, if you put your, if you put your hand in a boiling pot of hot water, 
you know, and your senses tell you, ouch, that hurt, then, you know, the science of that is useful, more useful than faith in God. You know, like if there was, if you had it as a starting premise that um, God will protect your hand if you put it into boiling water and then you put your hand in the boiling water and it burns, right? Now, the starting premise, you know, that you're going to go with science and, you know, the starting premise that you're going to trust your senses, even though technically you know that they're faulty, might be a good idea on that occasion. It might be a superior starting premise, you know. But technically, it's no better than the other one. You know, that, if you have faith in Jesus, you can put your hand in that hot water and if you pray hard enough that he won't, your hand won't burn, then your hand won't burn if you have that as your starting premise. Now, I would call that a very faulty premise compared to only a slightly faulty premise. Yeah. But the point is, they're all faulty, deep, deep down, in terms of what can actually be proven all the way down. So, you know, the born-again Christian might say, all right, you can poo-poo me for, you know, how faulty my starting premise is, but I'm not doing anything fundamentally different than you're doing in trusting your senses. And, you know, if we're not talking boiling pots of hot water, if we're talking about just having a happy life for the rest of your life, you know, maybe a literal, maybe a belief in that the Bible is literally true might give you a better life. And, you know, you may decide to do that. You may decide on happiness and bliss rather than um, everything making sense to your senses. You may decide that. And do you know what? In real life, uh, I do go to church. And my favourite uh, readings are from Paul, because he says that often. He says, choose bliss. You know, he says, you know, Paul, Paul came about in the shadows of some shocking civil wars in Rome. You know, there'd been a hundred years of turmoil in Rome, culminating in Julius Caesar, you know, getting stabbed in the Senate and then everybody rioting and, you know, and then, you know, um... And then um, he's uh, Julius Caesar's uh, mate, you know, Mark Antony, you know, running off with Julius Caesar's girl, <laughs> um, and then declaring war on Julius Caesar's son, you know, Augustus Caesar, um, who was called something else before that, you know. But, um, and um, big civil wars and all that. And Paul came in at the end of all of that, and it was a horrible time for about 100 years, and Paul said something like, all this logic you've been using, you Romans, this last hundred years ago, and you Greeks, where has it got you? It's got you all killed and living horribly. You know, why don't you choose bliss instead? Don't go with what logically seems true to you. Go with Jesus. And a lot of people said, yeah, you know what? This has been a bad experience. We're with you, Paul. And that's why you're so famous. Okay. Um, so it is a, you know, it is a valid alternative to put away, um, put away the blind faith in the accuracy of the collective senses of the human race, put them away, and go with um, the intuition of the few instead. And by the few in this case, I mean a few Jews, a couple of Jews getting around a table writing a Bible. Yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah. Okay, so that's that. Or in Paul's case, you know, someone's a little bit Greek and a little bit Jewish and a little bit Roman all at the same time, you know. But the point is, a Bible was built up, you know, um, 
brought together, you know, some bits taken out, some bits brought in. You might disagree with the process of that, that it's artificial. It's artificial, you know, that some books were left out of the Bible and some were called, you know, and some were put in, you know, and it was rearranged, maybe rewritten a little bit, you know, maybe Constantine and all his mates, you know, and all this sort of stuff. You might say, that's just so artificial. You know, how could that be a game that I want to play for the rest of my life, a game that's been just artificially created? And to which I would say, well, do you enjoy playing football? You know, they're artificially created rules. And then you have a wonderful time playing football for two hours. You know, would you... Um, are you so furious that games like football and cricket have artificial rules? You know, well, why be so furious? What is so stupid about Paul, you know, and his mates? Um, Constantine later, and all, this, all these people, constructing a Bible via artificial means... Um, you know, what's invalid about that? You know, you want rigour? You know, you think, oh, you know, the Gospel of... Who was it? You know, Thomas or whatever. You know, the Gospel of Thomas... Was it Thomas? Ta- you know, taken out. That's illegitimate. I say, all Gospels are illegitimate. You, you, you know, there's some people say, oh, that Gospel should have been put in because it's not legitimate to have those four Gospels in. Oh, for goodness sake. They're all illegitimate. They're all made-up stories. I think John and, you know, Luke with the same writer anyway, you know, and you're arguing about whether Thomas should be left in and you're turning a blind eye to the fact that Mark and well, the John and Luke or someone, you know, Mark and Luke or something, were probably the same writer anyway. There's been, uh, there have been people who are good at um, analysing uh, scriptures who have argued that two, at least two of the Gospels were written by the same person. You know, look, none of the Gospels were written by the people that we say they're written by anyway, because they're all illiterate fishermen, you know. So we know that much, you know. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, none of them could write. You know, we know that much. Um, so, you know, you're, you're arguing that one stupid gospel wasn't put in and four other, but, and you're happy that four other stupid gospels were put in. And you say that, you know, you say this is rubbish, you know, the whole five gospels should be in, you know. You say, hey, it'd be rubbish even if all five gospels were put in, wouldn't it? By your rules? <laughs> that sort of thing, you know. It's all artificial, but it doesn't. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It can give you a very valuable sort of existence if you buy in, you know, and even buy in really big time. We humans have got a, a talent where we can buy in hook, line and sinker without that lobotomy that I was mentioning. We don't need it. I've got that power too. I reckon I could do it. I'm pretty zen. I can, you know, I can do that sort of stuff. I can actually buy in very strongly, you know, and um, if I so chose, I could do it. Um, I don't really want to put away science. I enjoy science too much. See, the only reason I can't and won't um, go hook, line and sinker for Christianity and Jesus and all that sort of stuff, or, you know, indigenous beliefs or anything like that, is I just, I I don't, I, I enjoy playing the game. I, I like playing all the games. You know, this is like someone who will only play football. Um, as, the, you know, like I consider football the most um, superior f- game on the planet. You know, that's just me. It's got everything. Football, you know. Um, uh, you know, hand, hand work, footwork, strength, speed. You know, in football, you know, Hell of a lot of kicking, a hell of a lot of handballing, hell of a lot of you have to uh, read play. 
football is a wonderful game. Um, soccer, on the other hand, you know, what are you doing? You're just kicking the ball and headbutting it, you know. I find that a little bit limiting. Basketball, you know, where's the physicality? Where's the big tackles, you know, all that sort of stuff. All right. But in, so football, I find to be a superior game, but I don't want to be, you know, I want to still keep it in reserve that I might feel like playing cricket next week. You know, realistically, I haven't got time, I've got bloody kids. You know? But if, you know, I like to, I like to know that I could if I would, wanted to. You know, I could play football. In fact, I'm, I'm already pre-invited to play a game of football next year in the dad's game that we have every year at my kid's school. Um, you know, and I like the fact that I can if I want even if I choose not to, you know, and I have already chosen not to because I can't afford to get injured. Did I mention that? Yes, I did. Um, so there's that, you know. So I don't want to rule myself out of any game, really. I want to I want to, I want to, to be able to enter into all the games. So I'm not going to give myself over to, you know, Christianity to the exclu- exclusion of all other belief systems. Look, I do tend to... Um, tend to stick to science mostly, but you know, I like the fact that if I should choose, I could go the whole Ramadan next year if I felt like it, and I could, you know, confuse a few people, you know, I know a few racists, by the way, who hate Muslims, um, but that's only because, you know, they come from the old country, and they knew a few bad Muslims over there, and now they had all. You know, they reckon that if Muslims came to Australia, well, they've already come. That you know, it'll turn into the way it was for them when they were kids. You know, and that may not be the case. You know, um, but then again, I know a few Muslims, for example, who remember the Crusades. You know, and that wasn't very pretty for them either. You know, um, they, they've actually been living that long. My Muslim friends, um, you see just like the dinosaurs in that ark that my mate's got, uh, that I met going around Australia. I met him down in Queenscliff. You know, um, you might say that, you know, Muslims can't live for um, 1,000 years, you know, to have been back in the time of the Crusades. But um, there, are, there, there is this land called Y, you know. Not X, there is this land called Y. And Muslims live there, and they've been living for 1,000 years. Um, but the way, but the way that can happen is, as a starting premise, they told me um, that in Y, a thousand years in Y is like um, fifty years here. You know, time moves um, a lot um, slower in Y, and those people have been alive for a thousand years, but to us it feels like they've been alive for fifty years. You know, um, that's the way it works. You know, they've got a faulty starting premise. Those guys, I reckon. Uh, however, they really believe it. They believe they were alive during the Crusades, and they remember it. And they, you know, put them on a lie detector test, and they'll come up trumps every time. They actually believe this shit. <laughs> but if I got to talk to those Muslims from Y, you know, I would feel very um, sympathetic, you know, because the tears that they might shed at what the Christians did to them way back in what. 1,021, uh, what year were I in? Oh, yeah, 1,020. Um, you know, they, the pain that they might be feeling as they, rec- you know, falsely recall, as I would put it, but to them, you know, actually recall the events of, you know, I can't even remember when the Crusades are on. Crusades went for a long time. Um, but, uh, was it? 
anyway, whenever it was. Look, it was it was about a thousand years ago, there thereabouts. Um, the pain that someone from Y, whom I might go out with tonight, would be feeling as you know he might collapse in tears at the pain that um, his family went through a thousand years ago. You know, uh, actually, you can talk to Indigenous people in Australia, and they've even got a sort of timelessness about them, where um, time doesn't even uh, time doesn't even exist as such. You know, they have this sort of dreaming where they've exi- they have existed at all times at once. So you know, these Muslims from why, you know, you don't know who they are, so you can't prove me wrong. Um, they have that sort of Indigenous Australian type of timelessness, you know, they have a dreaming that they were alive back in the time of the Crusades and they say, oh, you know what hurts the most as I remember the Crusades? And I say, what? And they say, it was the smell of the battlefield. I say, the smell? You remember smelling it? Oh, yeah, the, the blood, you know, the meat. It smelt like meat at a barbecue. At a barbecue? Yeah, yeah, there was a few fights, you know. Um, all right, so that's that, you know. So you can enter into these things. Um, and um, and tonight, I'm going out with a guy called X. No, I'm not. I'm going out with a bloke from X. See, I've got to remember my lies. And um, he's going to tell me all about, you know, Xian, his language, and how, um, and how all other languages... Um, derive from Exian, you know. And I've been forewarned also that this bloke is going to hit me up for some cash, you know, because he's a little bit of a vagrant. Um, and he's going to say, you know, uh, I've been forewarned that he's going to say, listen, I gave you your language, you know. Your language comes from Exian, so give me 50 bucks, you know, or I'll sue you for intellectual property theft, you know. He, my friend said he comes that angle right at the end of after having had a wonderful night he'll come at you with that angle and and my friend said you'd better cough up the 50 bucks because he'll bash you if you don't <laughs> I'm looking forward to tonight it should be a lot of fun <laughs>